Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 548, coming to you live this morning from the Patuxent National Wildlife Research Refuge here in Laurel, Maryland. A refuge. It's <laughs> our studio audience. Thank you. A refuge established in 1936 by executive order of President Franklin D. Roosevelt. And the nation's only national wildlife refuge established specifically to support wildlife research. We'll find out much more about that and talk to the folks who keep it going and do the research in just a moment. As often happens, we ran out of time to finish up a couple of things on last week's show. One was a promised answer to a question from Ben in Lawrence, Massachusetts, who wanted to know whatever happened to all the eastern bluebirds he used to know there in northeast Massachusetts when he was a boy. Well, our short answer, Ben, is, well, one answer is that they're here at Patuxent. As we saw, we saw some of them yesterday. Um, but otherwise, you know, eastern bluebirds were set upon by a number of problems which caused their population to plummet as much as 90% in the last few decades. Problems like a shortage of nesting cavities, competition from house sparrows and European starlings, and the use of pesticides. We'll be talking about pesticides a bit uh, this morning here, too. The good news is that human beings who put that pesticide out there are now helping to restore bluebird populations by, among other things, putting up nest boxes and creating bluebird trails in suitable habitat to help bring the birds back from the brink. And folks have had um, great success doing this in many parts of the country. And, Ben, if you do some internet, a little Internet search, you can find out a lot more about this and maybe get some friends and neighbors together and start your own bluebird trail up there in Lawrence, uh, Massachusetts. Another thing we ran out of time for uh, last week was to announce the results of a drawing that determined our mystery bird uh, contest winner from the nearly correct answers we received last week. And Ted from Lynn was chosen as our winner. Ted, if you're listening, give us a call. We'll make arrangements to get that Droll Yankees feeder out to you. That's Ted in Lynn, Massachusetts. Uh, by the way, um, we're sounding a, a little telephonic here this morning on the radio because we're, we're going a little old school and uh, we're using a telephone for our broadcast, but we've uh, kind of got it figured out, I think, so bear with us with that. We're going to uh, make up for the lack of uh, fidelity with uh, high-quality guests this morning. So more on that in a moment. But uh, speaking of uh, high-quality guests, uh, we're excited to announce that next week, David Sibley, probably as close as you can get to a living legend in uh, birding, the birding world, uh, will be our in-studio guest, and David is going to be, uh, uh, we hope, a regular on our program, but he'll be with us uh, on our next show. Uh, in a moment, we'll talk to the man in charge down here, Brad Knutson, manager of the Patuxent National Wildlife Research Refuge. But first, some fascinating bird news from all the way up in Alberta, Canada. Alberta, Alberta, it's good to be. 
Let's head for Alberta, Canada, where Charlotte Wasilek awaits with her Charlotte's Weblog. Good morning, Ray. For young birders interested in attending camps next summer, registration is now open for the American Birding Association's Young Birder Camps. Camp Avocet and Camp Colorado are their two programs, and because of high demand, they've added a second week to Camp Colorado. Sign up now as these camps fill up quickly, and you can learn more by Googling ABA Camps 2016. This week on my blog, I interviewed Kristen Marini on her new birding game, which she has developed to help birders learn bird songs. You can even volunteer to help test the game between November 2nd and mid-December. Visit my blog at prairiebirder.com for the interview and also learn how you can help test the program. Earlier this week, Noah Stryker achieved his goal of seeing 5,000 different species of birds during his international big year this year. He still has two months to go, so good luck Noah and congratulations! You can follow Noah's adventures on his Birding Without Borders blog. That's all for this week, Ray. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Charlotte. Hey, don't forget to check out Charlotte's blog at her new address, prairiebirder.com. That's prairiebirder.com. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 548. We're live at the Patuxent National Wildlife Research Refuge, and we're about to meet one of those quality guests we mentioned a moment ago. And that would be Brad Knutson, the manager here at Patuxent. Brad, good morning. Good morning, Ray. We're very happy to have you here today at Patuxent. We're glad to be here. We're, we're, we're thrilled about being here and had a chance to, to see a little bit of the refuge uh, yesterday and this morning. And uh, quite an amazing place. And, and Brad, people probably, in, in many cases, would, would not believe how many wildlife refuges there are in the country. At least one in every state and many, many in, in a lot of different states. That's correct. Um, there's over 560 national wildlife refuges in the United States and our territories, Puerto Rico, Guam, etc., cetera, uh, makes up over 150 million acres of wildlife habitat. It's the largest network of lands anywhere in the world dedicated primarily to wildlife conservation. Uh, the backbone of the refuge system really is migratory birds, first refuge was established in Florida in 1903 to protect migratory birds. Uh, most refuges are located within the major flyways throughout the United States. So migratory waterfowl, passerines, um, over 700 species of birds have been documented on our National Wildlife Refuge System lands. Wow. And, and Patuxent itself is, is really sort of has a unique history, doesn't it? Give us a little, a little overview about some of the things that have happened here. It, it does. Well, you, you touched on, on the intro. We were set up as the first refuge to specifically support wildlife research. And over the years, it's focused on uh, various types of bird surveys, monitoring techniques, um, captive propagation of endangered species of birds, such as the whooping crane. You'll be hearing more about that later. Um, and here ourselves, we have uh, a large block of forested habitat, which is important for a suite of birds we call forest interior dwelling species, such as oven birds, scarlet tanagers, a number of warbler species. Uh, but our history does go back to 1936, and, and over the years, our, our mission has been supporting that research function, and then also to provide quality outdoor recreation in terms of uh, birding, hiking, 
nature photography. We do have hunting. We do have fishing on the refuge. Uh, so a lot of different ways for people to come out and enjoy the refuge. And many of the refuges throughout the country do have at least a portion of their lands open to the public. So we always are interested in having the public come out and enjoy the outdoors. And a lot of territory here. You've got almost, what, 13,000 acres, I think. We're just under 13,000 acres, mostly forested, as I said. Uh, we have the Patuxent River and the Little Patuxent River that run through the heart of the refuge. And uh, a variety of other habitats. We do have some meadows. We have some impoundments that have been sites for research done in the past on water level management, waterfall management, shorebird management, those sorts of things. Brad Knudsen is a manager here at the Patuxent National Wildlife Research Refuge. We're in Laurel, Maryland, or I don't know if we're, are we completely in Laurel? I guess. We're about halfway between yeah. Laurel and Bowie, Maryland, or we're in both Prince George's County and Anne Arundel. The river kind of dissects the, the refuge. All right. Still to come on our show today, we'll learn about the research part of the Patuxent National Wildlife Research Refuge. When Wildlife Research Refuge Director John French joins us here, we'll also present our regular features, including our mystery bird contest in our Let's Ask Mike segment with Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's legendary Bird Watchers General Store. And up next, we'll meet Old Groggle Nose, today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Introducing the Surf Scoter. No, it's not the latest jet ski variation. The surf scoter is a mostly black sea duck. The most colorful member of the Melanita genus, which also includes the white-winged and black scoters. That colorfulness is centered on the adult male's white, black, and orange bill that, combined with the white patches on its head, has earned it some colorful nicknames like skunkhead, groggle nose, muscle bill, and skunk-headed coot. Because surf scoters don't seem to react to the sound of firearms during hunting season, they've also acquired the nickname Deaf Duck. And by extension, of course, individuals might be referred to as Dead Duck. Surf scoters breed way up in northern Canada and Alaska and are commonly seen off the New England coast in winter. Although non-breeders, especially the immature birds, can be found in New England all year round. The surf scoter gets its common name for its tendency to forage in breaking ocean waves, where it feeds mostly on shellfish. Blue mussels are its favorite food, and that may explain one of the nicknames we mentioned, muscle bill. One of the biggest wintering populations of surf scoters is off the coast of British Columbia, where researchers estimate flocks of up to 200,000 birds may consume about 43 tons of mussel meat daily includes weekends. If they may not be consuming as many mussels as they used to, surf scoter populations are in decline. Most likely, it's believed, due to ocean pollution and excessive hunting. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, the surf scoter. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 548. As always, we hope you'll Visit our website, TalkingBirds.com, and see our new blog there. And uh, follow us, too, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds. We're live from the Patuxent Research Refuge here in Laurel, Maryland. Uh, it's not only a national wildlife refuge, although that would be plenty uh, on it by itself, but it's also the home of the U.S. Geological Survey Patuxent Wildlife Research Center, where one of the, one of the ongoing research projects includes a captive flock 
of whooping cranes, the continent's tallest bird. Dr. John French is the Wildlife Research Center Director, and uh, he has slid into the uh, chair next to me right here. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ray. Nice to be here. Great to have you here. Before we talk about whooping cranes a bit, um, we talked with Brad uh, about the history of, of Patuxent, and one of the many proud moments in, in the history of the research refuge is the research done on DDT. I mean, it has to be one of the most important things that have happened in a good way for birds uh, in, in, a, in maybe forever in modern times. At least tell us a, a bit about that history. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, DDT itself was not a good thing for birds, but the information that was developed here to help um, reduce the use of DDT and, and help those populations of birds that were affected by exposure certainly was a, a, a proud moment here for the, for the research center. And indeed, um, it was among the research that Patuxent produced that underlay the information produced by Rachel Carson in the book Silent Spring. And as you know, that book was just instrumental in starting the environmental movement, and in particular, uh, getting the field of, of wildlife toxicology underway and helping, uh, helping researchers uh, provide the information that uh, has really cleaned up uh, a lot of the habitats for birds in North America and around the world. So it really started here, I think you could, you could, you could say, in that, in that sense. Certainly. Uh, there, was, there was some very important early work done here. Others were obviously working on it, too. Um, it, uh, as far as DDT specifically goes, there was very good evidence from uh, Northern Europe and, uh, and North America uh, indicating that DDT was found and maybe related to or even causing eggshell thinning. But these were field data. There were correlations between exposure and egg breakage. And to fully determine that, it awaited an experimental uh, demonstration of that link. And that first experimental work was done right here at Patuxent in uh, a colony of American kestrels that we still keep here on the center for work on wildlife toxicology. Uh, just quickly, John, I mean, we have, we've controlled DDT here in, in our country, but it's not the case elsewhere. That's true. It is used uh, other places in the world. And sometimes, you know, there, there's some serious problems with um, uh, insect-borne diseases that that, uh, that does help with, although the risks to wildlife are still there wherever it's used. Well, let's come up to uh, uh, kind of the more modern times here, the whooping crane project. And we've, uh, we've had a chance to see some of these amazing birds here while we've been at, at Patuxent. But uh, give us a little overview, if you could, about what, what's, what, is, what has happened with whooping cranes and and what you're doing with uh, people in funny costumes and ultralight aircraft and all that. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, the whooping crane is one of, still, one of the most uh, endangered birds in North America. There are just over 600 birds alive today. And the miraculous fact is that that number 600 has grown from the low of 22 birds in 1942. And indeed, in 1942, there were two flocks of birds, a flock of 16, uh, that um, is the flock that gave rise to all the birds that are alive now in North America, 16 birds. It's really almost uh, unbelievable that um, a, a number of flock that size has, has survived. Part of what has helped them is the, <clears throat> the advent, honestly, of the Endangered Species Act, 
The whooping crane was one of the inaugural species of the Endangered Species Act, and that really focused an awful lot of good conservation work uh, around the country. Conservation work that um, protected the habitats for the, the one wild flock of 16, and that flock has now grown to well over uh, 300 birds, which is impressive. Again, 300 is not a lot, but it's certainly a good trend. The other aspect of uh, work that's helped whooping cranes is the reintroductions that we've started. There are a number of different reintroduction projects, and that's really uh, a lot of what we do here at Patuxent. We breed the whooping cranes, we train the chicks for a number of different reintroduction projects that are underway now in North America. And tell us a little bit about the mechanics of what, what happens with that. Yeah, sure. It's a lot of fun. Uh, <clears throat> the one um, really interesting project uh, has established a new migratory flock in the eastern part of the United States. And of course, there were no whooping cranes to put birds into, no whooping cranes migrating, so we had to teach them how to migrate. So along with some very important partners, Operation Migration, other folks in the Fish and Wildlife Service, state agencies, put together this project to uh, breed and train whooping crane chicks here at Patuxent, train them to follow an ultralight aircraft, and then we would ship them all up to Wisconsin, and where we'd release them into the wetland habitats that we wanted them to come back to. And then we'd take them down, follow them, or let them follow the ultralight down to, down to Florida. That was how we taught them how to migrate. And it seems to work quite well. So what would you say is the status of the bird right now? Oh, well, still it's endangered. There's no question about it. Um, we're working very hard, and we're hopeful that all these efforts will, will result in further increases in the populations that we've seen over the last you know decades and uh but there's no doubt about it it's still a, a highly endangered species it's dr john french wildlife research center director here at the patuxent national wildlife research refuge here on talking birds up next it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute Here's an idea for the next time you're shopping for wild bird food. Look for the Audubon Park brand, a top choice among bird lovers for more than 40 years. That's because Audubon Park wild bird seed is the finest kind, with more than a dozen selections to choose from, including the popular fruit and nut, songbird and cardinal, and no-waste patio blends. Human development and climate change are having increasing impacts on wild birds, feeding the hummers, chickadees, goldfinches, cardinals, and all the beautiful and fascinating birds in your backyard really helps them survive and thrive. All of Audubon Park's products meet the highest quality standards in the industry and have earned early compliance with the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act. And Audubon Park products are easy to find at your supermarket, lawn and garden store, farm and feed market, and online retailers. For more information, visit AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. Audubon Park wild bird food is made right here in the USA. Get some for your backyard birds today. Audubon Park wild bird food. All right. On to the mystery bird contest made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. You're eligible on the Mystery Bird Contest if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. And if you're not hearing us live, by the way, remember you can hear us live online from anywhere with an Internet connection. Just go to TalkingBirds.com to see how to do it. It's pretty easy. That's Talking Birds with no G in Talking. If you put the G in there, you get a pet store in Albuquerque. So you have to make sure you leave out, leave out the G. Uh, let's see, the phone number. We want to ask you to call as soon as possible on our Mystery Bird Contest 
And remember, if we don't get a correct answer, a drawing will determine our winner. So uh, take a guess. And I've been getting some feedback here from folks saying, this is a pretty hard mystery bird this morning. So we'll see, but take a guess at it. The number is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Our prize is the beautiful Droll Yankees Onyx Clever Clean 12-inch Sunflower or Mixed Seed Feeder. It has all the great Droll Yankees uh, attributes, including the twist and release base that ensures easy cleaning every time. That's the prize on our Mystery Bird Contest. Some of the people here know what the answer is, and I see them picking up their phones right now. Put that phone down, sir, if you would, please. All right, that's our prize on the Mystery Bird Contest. Here's the sound of our Mystery Bird. Obviously a beautifully melodic songbird. No, not really. It is a medium-sized sea-going bird with a black back and head, white underside, and a heavy, deep, round-tipped, wedge-shaped, flattened bill with a thin white line that extends from the eyes to the end of the bill. Our bird feeds by diving underwater for schooling fish and crustaceans and other invertebrates using its wings to swim. And yes, there are some right here uh, at the Patuxent Research Refuge. Uh, But that's our mystery bird. What do you think it is? If you know, well, by all means, tell us. And if you uh, don't know... Well, take a guess. He's urging you to call right there. I can hear it in the background. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor down there at that legendary Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod. It's our Let's Ask Mike segment in just one minute. Right in Boston's backyard lies a magnificent resource where you can walk a Civil War-era fort, explore tide pools, and camp under the stars. Once known as the city's hidden gem, the Boston Harbor Islands National Park area has become the go-to urban escape for tourists and residents alike. It's a marvelous destination for birders, offering a huge variety of migrating and nesting species that can be viewed independently or during free ranger-guided bird walks on Saturday mornings. The islands are home to other wildlife, too, including deer, fox, coyote, rabbits, raccoons, muskrats, squirrels, and harbor seals. There are countless activities for non-birders as well, like hiking on miles of trails, sunny beaches, ocean fishing, concerts, beer tastings, and programs for the whole family. 34 islands, 3,000 acres, endless fun and exploration, all minutes from Boston. Find out more at bostonharborislands.org. Let's check in with Mike O'Connor down in Orleans there at the Bird Watchers General Store. Good morning, Mike. Good morning to you, Ray. I guess this is for you. It says, please ask the following question to the bird store man. <laughs> um, bird store man. That, you're the only bird store man around yeah, so, here. So, so let's go with that. It says, I usually buy and put out cranberries for the birds. I have thought of mixing in raisins or sunflower seeds. In addition, I also buy and put out granola cereal, which seems to go quite well. I want to know what... What else I can use to attract many more colorful birds? That's from Sheila. Sheila, I like to have your address. I could, I would, I could spend days eating in your backyard. <laughs> Granola, raisins, cranberries. Get some, uh, some Colonel Crunch. Out. What was it? Captain Crunch. <laughs> Out there and now. Yes, Colonel Crunch. First of all, Sheila, I would like to ask you because you, since you're putting out the cranberries, uh, do you do you see birds 
eating the cranberries? I've never had luck with cranberries. So mm. Maybe some of your listeners could call in and report that, but anytime I use cranberries, they seem to hang around for a while. Mm. I know birds will eat uh, the less cultivated ones, like the high bush cranberries or the mountain cranberries. They're, they're very popular with birds, but the, the kind that they're, they're grown in the bogs, eh, not so much not in my experience, much. but mm-hmm. I would, you know, if you got something, I'd like to know about it. Um, putting out Assorted seeds is fine, you know, and there's only so many birds that can eat seeds. So uh, I think raisins are good for the fruit-eating birds besides the seed-eating ones. The other thing, and you probably do this, Sheila, but if you don't, water is a good idea. Um, because all the birds are going to want to drink, and you'll every Christmas we get somebody brings in this beautiful picture of uh, bluebirds around the snow-covered heated bird bath. So if you can put a bird bath, um, then you've got a good chance of attracting more birds without you know, putting out different feeders, because it sounds like you've got the feeder part pretty well covered. So I would say, uh, you know, maybe some water, maybe some sewer for woodpeckers. Um, but it seems like you've got most of the food base covered. But, yeah, if you get some reports on those cranberries, I want to hear about them, because I've never had luck. All right. There's the answer from the bird store yeah. man himself. <laughs> yeah, the answer. Tell me the information. That's what I want. <laughs> See you next week, Mike. Thanks. Okay, right. Take yeah, care. Bye. Mike. back uh, after Mike O'Connor's piece. By the way, uh, send a question in to Mike. Send it to Ray at TalkinBirds.com. No G in Talkin'. And Mike will answer your question. And if you'd like a copy of Mike's newest book, Why Do Bluebirds Hate Me? Uh, just include your mailing address uh, when, you, um, uh, when you send in the question. Ray at TalkinBirds.com uh, is the address. Meanwhile, we're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. And if you can stand it, here's the sound again of our Mystery Bird. The mystery bird is a medium-sized, sea-going bird with a black back and head, white underside, and a heavy, deep, round-tipped, wedge-shaped, flattened bill with a thin white line that extends from the eyes to the end of the bill. Our bird feeds by diving underwater for schooling fish and crustaceans and other invertebrates using its wings to swim. What do you think it is? 781-837-4900 is the number to call, 781-837-4900. Um, let's see. Can we go to uh, Jeff in Austin, Massachusetts? And the, uh, here we're coming to you from the Patuxent Research Refuge in Laurel, Maryland. So um, we're experimenting a little bit. Let's see if we can hear. Yes, hi. Your, your voice is very low yeah. on the phone. Jeff in Austin. Are you there, Jeff? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yes. We, we can, can everybody hear Jeff? All right. Everybody here in Patuxent and all over can hear you, Jeff. What do you say our mystery bird is? I'm going to take a guess that it might be a white heron. A white heron. Anybody? White heron? White heron? Getting a couple of thumbs down over here, Jeff. It's hard to say. Okay. Not, not a white heron, but try us again. Try next week. All right. Yeah. This could not be a white heron that having a black back and head and all of that. Um, okay, but anyway, we'll move on to Margie in Pembroke, Massachusetts. Good morning, Margie. How are you? How are you, Margie? I'm fine, thank you. Would you like to say hello to uh, Brad and John here with us? I'm sorry. I would not like to say who. I'm sorry. Oh, I think she did, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Margie, what do you say on our mystery bird contest? It might be a western grebe. It might be a western grebe in its next life, perhaps, uh, but not this time around. Not a, not a western grebe, Margie, but thank you so much for the try. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, a white heron of some sort was a guest in a, in a western grebe. Uh, but uh, 
are, are, are correct. We are uh, dealing with a bird that's associated with the water in a very seagoing kind of way. Let's go all the way out to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Vivian is calling us from there. Good morning, Vivian. Uh, we lost Vivian. Oh, we lost Vivian. All right. Hope everything's okay in Albuquerque. But uh, anyway, I think we have another another caller here. We have uh, Elaine in Warren, New Hampshire. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. How are things in uh, in Warren? I, where is that, by the way? I, I know it's in off. New Hampshire. We're not we're not not making a good connection with Elaine, but maybe we can do better with her guest for oh, the mystery oh, bird, oh. which is what Elaine. I think Elaine just hung up. Elaine. No, no, no. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, she's there. She's there. Hello? Sorry about that, Elaine. Hello. Don't let him get rid of you that way. What, what do you say? Our mystery Hello? bird is Elaine. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Do you have a guess, uh, Elaine? Yes, um, up around Plymouth, New Hampshire. Okay, well, Plymouth, New Hampshire. How about our mystery bird? We're going to have to flip the cards here. The answer was, and we'll figure out a winner, was the razor bill. Hi. Guess what? Wait. We're run out of time here at the... Can you believe it? Here at Potential, no, no, I didn't we've already up. run out of time. I'm here. Yeah, don't, don't hang up, Elaine. Uh, Jesse will take care of you there. We'll work something out. We are out of time. We don't even have a chance to recap our show. We're here at the amazing Patuxent Research Refuge in Laurel, Maryland. Brad Knudsen, John French, thank you so much for being with us. That's our show. Thank you, everybody. Our executive producer is Mark Duffield, associate producer Debbie Bleacher, engineer Jesse Wilkins, on-site assistant from Jed Edgar, special advisor Ken Lavish. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Bruce 6A, Orleans Cape Cod. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart.